Hello everyone, welcome back to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. I am Ben Richmond here to give you the latest update on the upcoming weather over the next couple of weeks. One thing to note about this is that as of 524 p.m. on March 20th, we are now in the official spring season. That doesn't mean though that winter is going to be done. The average time that we see snow end across Michigan in particular and much of the Great Lakes region is March 29th. So clearly we'd still have quite a good deal of time before we start to see the end of the snowy season. And we're going to talk about exactly what we could possibly be seeing over the next couple of days. So um, first of all, let's begin with what is projected for this week. So on Wednesday, Currently, there is a marginal risk for severe weather across parts of northern Missouri and southern Iowa. Well, that's out there. What does that mean for us? Well, the remnants of that system could bring us the first thunderstorms of spring across parts of Michigan, southwest Michigan in particular, and much of Indiana. So I do believe that Wednesday into Thursday, you might see your first potential thunderstorms across that region so that is something to be aware of wednesday thursday friday and saturday kind of look messy for at least some particular portion of the great lakes region so first of all wednesday late wednesday into thursday that potential does appear meanwhile there will likely be the potential for a severe weather outbreak developing to our south according to the sbc on thursday there is a threat for severe weather across Oklahoma and Texas, and then on Friday across Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. So that same system is could also potentially bring severe weather to the extreme southern portions of the Great Lakes region while bringing snow, yes, I said snow, to parts of central or a portion of Michigan. There's still some stuff to be determined about that. That's more in the long range, but that is currently what we are looking at. So first of all, let's talk about what we see based on the GFS model. And I'm just going to read it off to you because you guys can't see it. But right now, we are kind of in a cooler air mass where the high pressure um, is just keeping things cool across the Great Lakes region at the current moment. We're going to see that start to move away and things begin to warm up across portions of the Great Lakes region. So progressing it farther off to about Wednesday at 1 p.m., there is a initial development of some rain showers and maybe even a few pop-up thunderstorms across parts of the Indiana Southern Michigan region and then further initiation as we get into Wednesday night into early Thursday. Now there is snow popping up in parts of Wisconsin. Do I think that's going to get into Michigan? I think so. There will be some scattered snow showers across parts of Michigan near and south or between Grand Rapids and Traverse City. I think that those areas could start to see some snow that there won't be too much snow accumulation. Thursday afternoon into Thursday evening, I do see something concerning on the models of in terms of heavy rainfall. Southern Indiana, northern Ohio, um, a quick development of strong thunderstorms does appear to show up on the models for Thursday night. Now, looking at a sounding in southern Ohio near where Cedarville University is located next to Dayton, you do notice there is a marginal severe weather risk. Why? Well, we do have 
a little bit of instability and some directional shear with low level wind shear as well. There's not too much elicity, but there is enough to um, use that instability to further some severe weather. So there could be some severe weather Thursday night in southern Indiana and central southern Ohio. That's still to be determined, but that is what is currently showing up on the models. Now, it's not going to impact Michigan too much on Thursday. I think that's really going to stay to the south and move to the southeast. And then we see another low pressure system right behind that that will bring that severe weather outbreak farther to the south. This one could be the snowmaker for parts of central northern Michigan. All right. So if we go to the north, or if we show this and we get to early Saturday morning, one thing that is noticeable in the models is that there's heavy rain ongoing across parts of Ohio, parts of Indiana. That low is expected to go under some deepening and as it deepens it will draw cool Canadian air from the north into inside of it and when that happens we could see a transition to from rain to snow across parts of Indiana which in this case it could be very heavy wet snow associated with this so this could cause some very quick accumulations that could lead to significant travel impacts across Indiana into Friday so that's the thing to watch out for if you live in Indiana and it does look like Saturday evening Saturday afternoon the snow makes its way into Ohio as well so Ohio will also have that heavy snow for a brief time frame before it finally begins to move out of the area so that's kind of a summary of what is being shown the long-range models do show more potential for some snow makers across parts of the Great Lakes region and so winter definitely is not going to end just yet. We're still going to have to be dealing with the effects of, of winter for a while. One thing to point out about this upcoming spring season for, for severe weather is that we are now approaching an ENSO-neutral season. What does an ENSO-neutral season mean? Well, we have been in a La Nina season for a more extended period of time um, over the winter, which usually leads to a stronger cold air mass and a weaker Pacific jet stream. So with the La Nina season that we have had, we have seen changes in the weather as a result, but we are now entering into an ENSO neutral season. What that means is that the warmer air in parts of the southern or parts of the Pacific Ocean, the warmer ocean waters will allow for more moisture evaporation and a stronger um, air mass, warmer air mass over the Pacific and Atlantic oceans as well. Those strengthening air masses will also influence our jet stream. The jet stream will strengthen across parts of the continent of the United States. Okay, So jet streams will change as a result of this shift. We're going from La Nina, the cool season in the Pacific Ocean, to Enso neutral in the Pacific Ocean, which means the temperatures in the Pacific Ocean are about normal. Historically, the Great Lakes region has seen an uptick in tornado activity during an Enso neutral season. Now, we can't necessarily say that's going to be the case this year, but it is something to be aware of as we go into the spring season, which is prime time severe weather season across much of the United States. Now, as we get into summer and to fall, it will likely change even more into an El Nino type of setup where that El Nino will make the warm waters over, well, the waters over the Pacific Ocean warmer than average, making a stronger jet stream, which usually leads to a warm and dry season across the Great Lakes region. So that's something to be watching out for in the long term. But for now, 
the latest forecast for the next upcoming week is Tuesday. We are going to be dealing with cloudy skies, high of 52, low of 39. Wednesday, it's going to be 53 degrees with some rain showers in the evening, um, high of 53 low 49 Thursday we could see a few thunderstorms embedded in those rain showers before ending around midday high of 51 low of 33 Friday cloudy skies high of 46 low of 34 and temperatures cool down again on Saturday with rain high of 42 low of 32 across that region and then Sunday we finally see the Sun again high of 52 low of 40 Sunday the March 26th Monday March 27th, we have rain showers possibly returning, high of 49, low of 33. Tuesday, March 28th, um, we may see a little bit of snow even in the morning, but it's looking more along the lines of rain, high of 46, low of 34. And then Wednesday, March 29th, the sunshine returns with warmer temperatures, high of 51, low of 37. And that is the overall summary of the weather for the upcoming next few days. Hello and welcome back to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. My name is Ethan Reisinga and I will be talking about uh, five heat-related illnesses. Uh, the first is heat rash. Uh, this is also known as prickly heat and malaria, miliaria, um, and it is commonly found in babies. Although you can definitely contracted as an adult as well. Um, this occurs when sweat is trapped under the skin. Symptoms can range from small blisters to deep inflamed lumps. Some forms of heat rash are very itchy. Uh, heat rash usually goes away once the skin cools down. Uh, some more severe forms of the condition might need treatment from a healthcare provider. The mildest form of heat rash is called miliaria crystallina. Uh, it occurs when the opening of the sweat duct on the surface of the skin is blocked. Uh, this form is marked by tiny, clear, fluid-filled bumps that break easily. Uh, a type that occurs deeper in the skin is called malaria rubra. <clears throat> it is sometimes called prickly heat. Uh, signs and symptoms include small, inflamed, blister-like bumps and itching or prickling in the affected area. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Um, occasionally, the inflamed bumps of malaria rubra <clears throat> fill with pus. This form is called mal malaria postulosa. A less common form of heat rash is called miliaria profunda. It affects the deepest layer of the skin, which is the dermis, and it causes firm, painful, or itchy inflamed bumps that look like goosebumps when they break open. Uh, the next uh, some heat illness I'll be talking about is heat cramps. Uh, heat cramps are very painful, involuntary muscle spasms that usually occur during heavy exercise in hot environments. Uh, the spasms may be more intense and more prolonged than our typical nighttime leg cramps. Uh, fluid and electrolyte loss often contribute to heat cramps. Uh, the mus muscles that are most often affected include uh, your calves, your arms, abdominal wall, and back, although heat cramps may involve any muscle group involved in exercising. Uh, you'll want to rest brief briefly and cool down. Uh, these are just some uh, ways to treat it. Uh, you'll want to drink clear juice or an electrolyte containing sports drink, practice gentle range of motion stretching, and gentle massage of the affected muscle group. Uh, you don't want to resume any of that strenu strenuous activity for several hours uh, or even longer after the cramps go away. And if they continue to stay and don't go away, you might want to call your doctor. <clears throat> My next uh, illness would be uh, fainting due to heat. Uh, heat synapse is a fainting 
uh, episode or dizziness that usually occurs when standing for too long or suddenly standing up after sitting or lying. Uh, factors that may contribute to heat uh, syncope uh, include dehydration and lack of acclimatization. Uh, symptoms of heat uh, syncope include fainting, obviously, uh, dizziness, lightheadedness from standing or uh, from standing too long or suddenly rising from a sitting or lying position. Uh, you want to seek first aid or sit or lie down in a cool place. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Uh, slowly drink water, clear juice, or a sports drink. Um, the next illness I'll be talking about is heat exhaustion. Uh, this one's more common. Uh, it's pretty dangerous though, or can be. Uh, heat exhaustion is the body's response to an excessive loss of water and salt, usually through excessive sweating. Uh, heat exhaustion is most likely to affect the elderly, people with high blood pressure, those working in a hot environment. Um, and then a few of the symptoms include uh, headaches, nausea, uh, dizziness, weakness, irritability, thirst, heavy sweating, elevated body temperature, decreased urine output, and you'll definitely want to seek first aid. Um, uh, so say there's a worker that's suffering from heat exhaustion. You'll want to take the worker to a clinic or emergency room for medical evaluation and treatment. Uh, call 911 if Medicare medical care is unavailable. Have someone stay with the worker until help arrives. Remove the worker from the hot area and give liquids to drink. Remove any unnecessary uh, clothing, including shoes and socks. Cool the water with uh, cold compresses or have the worker wash their head, face, and neck with cold water. Encourage frequent sips of cool water. Um, and yeah, those are just some ways to treat the heat exhaustion. Uh, this is the most dangerous one. This next one is uh, heat stroke, which I'm sure you've all heard of. Heat stroke is the most serious heat-related illness. It occurs when the body can no longer control its temperature. The body temperature rises rapidly, the sweating mechanism fails, and the body is unable to cool down. When heat stroke occurs, the body temperature can rise to 106 degrees or higher within 10 to 15 minutes. A heat stroke can cause permanent disability or death if the person does not receive emergency treatment. Uh, some symptoms include confusion, altered mental status, uh, slurred speech, loss of com consciousness, or even going into a coma, uh, hot, dry skin, or profuse sweating, uh, seizures, uh, very high uh, body temperature, and uh, fatal if it's not treated. Um, some uh, steps that you can take to treat it would be to call 911, obviously, for emergency care. Uh, you want to stay with the person until the care arrives. Uh, you want to move the person to a shaded, cool area and remove any uh, unnecessarily outer clothing. Uh, you want to cool the person quickly using the, like, uh, using the following methods. Uh, cold water or an ice bath if possible. Wet the skin. Place cold wet wet cloths on the skin. Uh, soak uh, clothing with cool water. Circulate the air around the worker to speed the cooling. And then you can uh, place cold wet cloths or ice on the head, neck, armpits, and groin. Or soak the clothing with cool water, as I mentioned before. Um, so yeah, those are just a few uh, heat-related illnesses that you can contract. And um, always use sunscreen. Uh, stay safe out in the sun. It can be pretty brutal sometimes. And uh, that is all for me today. Greenhouse gases are gases in the Earth's atmosphere that trap heat. Every night, when the Earth's surface cools, some heat is released back into the air. However, some of this heat gets trapped into, in the atmosphere by greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gases are necessary to help sustain life on Earth. 
They are essentially invisible walls in the atmosphere that trap heat, preventing the Earth from becoming too cold to sustain life. The main greenhouse gases are methane, nitrous oxide, and carbon dioxide. CO2, or carbon dioxide, is introduced into the atmosphere in natural ways, like humans breathing and plant respiration. However, since the Industrial Revolution, CO2 counts have increased by as much as 50%. Methane is also produced naturally, but once again has seen human-induced increases. There are a couple of greenhouse gases that are solely man-made, and while they are present only in very small amounts, they are very potent and good, and good at catching heat. This increase in greenhouse gases could be very bad as it could cause the Earth to heat up. There are two main ways we can reduce the presence of these gases. Reduce the increased presence of these gases. First, we can move away from fossil fuels and move toward renewable energy. The main users of fossil fuels are the transportation industry as well as the industrial industry. Some sources of renewal, renewable energy are solar, wind, hydro, and geothermal energy. Along with, along with decreasing greenhouse gas emissions, these energy sources are also able to be naturally replenished, being better all around. We are not, however, at a place where we can make these sources mainstream. The second main way we can decrease greenhouse gases involves an entire lifestyle switch. If each person would recycle or reuse, it would greatly reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Currently, greenhouse gases aren't much of a concern. However, if we don't figure out a way to decrease emissions, it could become a very serious problem. Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome back today. Today we're going to talk about the air pollution and some facts about that and the overall summary of, summary of uh, air pollution. Uh, I'll begin my uh, information from the National Park Service, um, the World Health Organization, and the NRDC. Um, summer up, uh, a lot of it is caused by humans, so mo mostly a lot of it happens from... Uh, humans and um, animals. Um, there's four usually different kind of main types of sources. Sources They're called mobile sources, such as like, you know, cars, buses, trains, even some possible uh, subways, um, planes, tickets, uh, tickets, or trucks. And again, trains, um, very common ones, you know, such as, you know, things we drive, you stay and use. There's some stationary uh, sources that we use, such as power plants, oil refineries, um, possibly on our manufacturing, some factories, stuff like that, industrial things. Um, some, there's some area resources that are causing air pollution, such as uh, agriculture areas, cities and wood burning fireplaces, such as, you know, even like, I guess like burnouts and stuff like that, control, uh, control bands are really good things, but um, I would say uh, different like fireplaces and, um, uh, I guess city, even like some city like stuff that they use for burning to keep uh, fuel, stuff like that. Definitely has area sources. Natural sources would be like the wind, uh, dust, fire, wildfires, volcanoes. Uh, I might even classify some of the um, the possible um, um, hurricanes like that as possible because like, it does cause areas to affect in the area and stationary stuff that could possible uh, cause air pollution. Um, those are the main types. Um, it is increasing each day. I think a good idea is not to get rid of all these things, 
and go to power, but look to other possible things and resources so we don't, so we have these kind of resources for a long time for our, our Earth. Our Earth is, um, it's very important that we do care, take care of it. Um, uh, a lot of the uh, things that are caused by it are winds because the emissions rise up, the winds take them. It's a lot of times it usually happens as uh, uh, it can be a biological uh, effects on things such as rivers, lakes, stuff like that. And, um, it, and it can sometimes cause like almost a haze or a fog, stuff like that. Um, I would definitely say to you know really like research this stuff because um, getting involved with this kind of stuff early helps it in the long term. Um, also, again, watching what we use as fossil fuels and being very you know not getting rid of it completely, but being careful and using it wisely with a dominion. Um, I, I would say that's mostly what I would cover for this topic. Again, it is a greenhouse gas, you know, people uh, sometimes almost, uh, I guess, like make it such a more priority of people's health. I would definitely say it's a important issue, but we should be, again, in moderation. People try to say we're going away, but we're really not. Um, again, it's something that we should do, we should uh, invest in and look into. And looking at the effects too, and it effects can be sometimes bad. You know, it can be, it can help. It can be, it can worsen a people's health and stuff like that. Even sometimes death, it results in death. But uh, thank you for listening, and have a great day. Climate topics. This one is agroforestry. Agroforestry is the intentional integration of trees and shrubs into crop and animal farming systems to create environmental, economic, and social benefits. What are they used for? They're used for management practice. For a management practice to be called agroforestry, sorry, it typically must satisfy the four I's, which are intentional, intensive, integrated, and interactive. There are five typically uh, categories of agroforestry that encompass all of agroforestry. The first is alley alley cropping. It means planting crops between rows of trees to provide income while the trees mature. A system can be, be designed to produce fruits, vegetables, grains, flowers, herbs, bioenergy, and feedstocks and more. So that it's not just planting random trees, they can even be product producing too. This type of system may also be called intercropping when the trees and crops are not in defined rows or alleys. So if you have corn in a row, you have a tree next to it, but the tree's an apple tree, you get the corn product and you get the uh, apple product from the trees. Next is forest farming, where you grow food, herbal, bot botanical, and decorative crops under a forest canopy that is managed to provide ideal shade levels as well as other products. So you just plant your crops in a feet in under the tree cover of a forest. Next is silvopasture which combine trees with livestock and forage on one piece of land. So trees can share with cows, sheep, pigs, goats, any type of livestock. Or it doesn't have to be trees, it can be shrubs, etc. The trees may provide fruit, timber, fodder, or nuts, as well as shade and shelter for livestock in their forages. Reducing stress on the animals from the hot summer, cold winter winds, or downpour. Therefore, you see you get a benefit from the product of the trees and you get 
shade and wind cover and rain cover for your uh, livestock. The next one is riparian forest buffers. They're natural or reestablished areas along rivers or streams made up of trees, shrubs, and grasses. These buffers can help filter farm runoff while the roots stabilize the banks of uh, streams, rivers, lakes, and ponds to prevent erosion. These areas can also support wildlife and provide another source of income. Now, the source of income from this one isn't as significant as the other ones, but it can provide you with a way to stop spending as much money to stop erosion. The next one is called windbreaks. They shelter crops, animals, buildings, and soil from wind, snow, dust, and odors. These areas can also support wildlife and provide another source of income, same as the rest of them. These ones also go by more names. The windbreaks does. Called shelter belts, hedgerows, vegetated environmental buffers, or living snow fences. Out here in Michigan, they, they tend to be called hedgerows. How does this affect the climate, though? They lead to less soil erosion and improved shade and the ability of ground to contain water. That is climate topic. Hello, everyone, and thanks again for listening to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. Be sure to stay updated by checking out our YouTube channel and all of our social platforms. We are available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are also now available on Rumble. You can also visit our website that is attached to the podcast description to get more updates about the weather. Hopefully, you found this information helpful. If you would like to leave feedback on the podcast, you are welcome to do so by also visiting our website and checking out the podcast tab. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you all next time.